This week on Backyard Footy. It has been a problem in, in you know, I mean, racism has been a hot topic in football for many years, right? Like there has been, it just takes a long time, I think, to change that. And even in, you know, countries like, you know, back home, for example, there's still English managers and, and you know, black English managers are not getting the same opportunities and chances. Um, now, I guess what we need, what would the hope would be that, as that, as more and more people do get the chance, they they are successful, and and then that'll eventually just go away, right? But I do think for years that's that's existed as a problem, and so it just it takes time to change that, you know. And unfortunately, as much as people don't want to talk, racism is still something that we're battling with as a society um, and and across the world, right? And I just think that that hasn't changed maybe as much as sometimes people think. And unfortunately, I just think it's going to take time. Right. For you guys, what would the we talked about this earlier, but what would the difference be in terms of having a coach from you know a, that understanding? Would it be so much that, or would it be like you said of saying you know, hey, these white players are getting chance after chance after chance versus you know you screw up once and you're benched, you're you're done. The opportunities aren't there for you because they don't understand where you're coming from or it's just a cultural disconnect or maybe I'm completely missing the boat. <laughs> I think for me, it's more so <clears throat> a role model, a figure to look up to. Uh, I remember when I was growing up and I started playing soccer, like Shaka Hislop was uh, one of my favorite goalkeepers and it wasn't because he was the best goalkeeper in the Premier League. It was because he looked like me. Um, and I think in order to get more minorities in, in soccer, specifically black players in soccer, you got to have, you know, players like you, players like Pebo, players like myself, but you also got to have the coaches who are out there, you know, strong figures, strong role models, leaders, leaders of teams, leaders of men, leaders of organizations um, to give these young players something to aspire to. Um, it would give myself something to aspire to outside of playing soccer, you know, moving on beyond my playing career, but also just younger players, giving them something to aspire to. Oh, I see, a, you know, a strong coach on the sideline who's, who's, uh, you know, leading a successful team. Like that gives, that gives people, that gives not just young players, but people, um, you know, African-Americans, someone, something to aspire to that I think would be huge for, um, for the culture. So uh, how, how to fix that? Uh, that's not something I, I have thought about too much. Is that something I need to think about more? Um, but I, I think it's a great question, something that, that needs to be addressed. Yes, sir. What's up, footy fans? It's your host, Hugh Roberts, a.k.a. Superhuman. I have a very, very exciting episode for you guys. We're here for the 37th episode, where each episode I dive into the backgrounds, journeys, and experiences of professional athletes, former athletes, and anyone that's been involved with the game. We're here live for the virtual cookout part two. For those who aren't familiar with the cookout, it's where I bring a group of people together for a cookout. This is Backyard Footy, so we're in the backyard having a cookout, essentially, to discuss everything footy from multiple perspectives. In the first cookout, I had a group of former collegiate athletes former pros and current pros together to share their experiences and talk everything footy in this country. Go to my YouTube page to watch this production or listen on Apple Podcasts, but it's definitely worth the watch. It's the pinned video on my YouTube page, but I had a whole videography crew come through. 
multiple people. It was just a great professional, well-done production. So I highly recommend you watching that first one so you have a great understanding about this second cookout. So for this second cookout, as I mentioned earlier, due to this virus, we're going virtual. But I have very, very exciting guests for you, and I'm bringing you brand new perspectives, some that you haven't heard before. I have almost all the local Charlotte Footy podcasts here together, other pro athletes as myself who have been doing their own shows off the field and who have been thriving on and off, some legends in the game. But, you know, we're more than athletes, so I wanted to show you guys other athletes that are doing their thing off the field. So as I mentioned before, I'm bringing you multiple perspectives from a podcast standpoint and athletes on and off the field. But it's an honor to welcome these Charlotte Podcasts. Let me introduce you guys to my next guests and my guests that are here for this cookout. So first off, we have Talking Jacks, the Independent Supporters Podcast, hosted by Ben Gorshan. That was I had uh, Ben and Talking Jacks on my episode 28. So if you want to hear their full story and the full origin, make sure you go to episode 28 on my podcast and listen to his beginnings. You definitely don't want to miss that one. Next, we have the Mint City Voice which is a podcast for the new MLS Charlotte soccer team that's coming here next year, hosted by Jay Lance Groner. Definitely a brand new perspective I'm bringing you. I haven't had him on my show yet, so you're going to hear great insight about the new MLS team and how the supporters group is getting ready for a big year next year. Next, I have another brand new perspective. I have a podcast here in Charlotte called The Queen's English Soccer Show which is another Charlotte MLS show focusing more on overseas news, overseas players, and is hosted by two British guys who are very well known with the European game. So for them to come here to the States to bring their perspectives is going to be very, very important. I'm excited to share that one. And next, I have a former guest, QCFC, the number one soccer show here in Charlotte. They were also on episode 30, so make sure you go listen again for their origin that was a great episode as well. You definitely don't want to miss that. But they're the number one soccer source here in Charlotte. So I'm definitely excited to hear their perspectives as well. <clears throat> and now for the pro players. Just like myself, I have the legend in the game, the local legend, Brandon Miller, who plays with me for the Charlotte Independence. And he's also started his own brand a couple years ago in his own show called Prime Focus Goalkeeping, where he gives the goalkeeper's perspective and he has his own apparel line for goalkeepers. And that's a very interesting perspective as well because you really don't get the goalkeeper's perspective. They're kind of on an island in the games by themselves. So it's very intriguing to hear their perspectives, definitely from the mental side. Definitely recommend you listening to his podcast and follow him on all social media platforms. One of my great guys and great friends. And lastly, I have a really good friend of mine from the DMV area, another USL legend, captain of Loudon FC, Pebo Due, who also has his own brand slash show called The Homegrown. And that's where he shows the footy culture on and off the field. So he brings a brand new perspective. It's kind of different from my, from me where he's showing the fashion. He's showing things we do more off the field. He's getting up close and personal. It's just it's definitely a different perspective, kind of like uninterrupted on IG LeBron's second pot, second show. If you haven't uh, watched that as well, definitely highly recommend that. But people bring a brand new, fresh perspective from the DMV area called Homegrown. So make sure you guys tune in to his social media. But like I said, this is the cookout part two, virtual. And I'm very, very excited to bring everyone here together for this great, wonderful show. So without further ado, let's get started. So how's everybody been adjusting making content during this virus? All right. Well, I guess I'll, I'll jump into that one. So 
Hugh, as you know, we've, we've taken to IG live for a lot of things because typically everything we would do in person and that's not safe right now. So, uh, we, it's something that, so for those of you who don't know the QCFC's Queen City Football Chronicle, it's the brainchild of the Charlotte Post and the Charlotte Post is a historically black newspaper that's been in the community for over a century dates back to 1878 and our editor-in-chief had to listen to me rant after the gold cup was here in 2015 about no one's covering the game the way it should be covered in this city so they said all right well what are you going to do about that ergo qcfc was born and a lot of uh, if you follow the content it's a lot of coffee references i love coffee if it wasn't seven o'clock at night i'd be having a cup now but we introduced Coffee with QCFC, uh, had Valentin Sabello with the Independence on this past week. And yeah, so it's a lot more getting in front of the camera. That was a great show, by the way. Appreciate you. He, uh, apparently, you guys have a goal competition going on this season. Uh, oh, yeah, me and him. Yeah, yeah. He swears he can score more goals than me this year. Where did he oh, he said he's he's settling up for ten, so that that'd be impressive in his first full season. Yeah. <laughs> Why don't you ask you about our off-season goal competition? Uh oh, be spoken. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> oh, man. About that. Yeah, one good day. We all have good days, right? <laughs> oh man. Great. How's everybody else been making some content during this quarantine? I mean, I've been as far as the last line. We we we've been just trying to reach out to as many. Uh, a variety of people to talk to um, and we use the, the prime focus goalkeeping website to to add more content to our blog um, so kind of just focusing on the blog and then a variety of people on the podcast to, to put out as much content as possible because right now you know a lot of people are home and you know they don't have a lot to do so um, our, our goal is to just get out as much content as possible during this time right I definitely agree with that yeah, this is Chris from the Queen's English. I mean, I guess we're in a pretty unique scenario along with, you know, the Mint City guys. You know, we don't have much to report on the field because, you know, the team hasn't even been set up yet. And that's been primarily the focus of our pod. Um, so we've taken the opportunity to really sort of educate ourselves and our listeners on the MLS generally. Um, sort of do some deep dives. Those are coming up in the next few weeks. And, and really, like I said, yeah, going through that process of, of absorbing Having as much information as we can going into next season. Nice, nice. I like that. Yeah, and I'll, I'll step on that one too. Like, it's, it is very difficult for us. You know, we don't have a team, um, don't even have a coach. Got a lot of academy stuff going on. Um, right. But from, from the, the, the Mint City side, you know, our, we have the Mint City Chronicle that's still putting out a lot of stuff. Um, I'm not as directly involved with that as I am with the podcast stuff. Um, the last thing I did for them, I wrote a pretty detailed article um, about myself at the beginning of all of this, kind of, um, you know, hoping that everybody can get out of this with a positive mindset. It was about depression and, and the effects of it and how I use sport to get through it. And, you know, I'm really hopeful that other people can find a way to be past that. Um, as for the podcast side, I mean, I've been, I'm still trying to figure out what my show is about. You know, I've had, right. I've had Zach from Mint City, him and I kind of went over the origins of what we did. And then the branding guys and my last podcast, 
Um, I actually recorded the branding and my interview with Jorge um, on the same day, March 12th. And that was the day after all the, the leagues basically canceled operations and stuff. So um, I haven't done much on the podcast side besides try to figure out where I go from Jorge. Cause that's, right. that was a heck of an interview anyways. So. Right. But I like the topic about depression and sports getting you out of that too, because the mental aspect, I'm not just for you guys, but even for athletes as well, is very important too. So that's definitely great insight. I'm going to make sure I check that out myself. I appreciate that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'll go ahead and say, uh, Hugh, as you know, uh, Homegrown's pretty pretty new and pretty fresh, and we're still, you know, beginning uh, to kind of figure out, like Jake said, who we are as as, as, a, as a brand. Um, you know, obviously, we're focused on doing video and a lot of, like, behind-the-scenes stuff with, with uh, you know, within teams and, and players. So uh, this, this, you know, pandemic was perfect timing for us. So it's kind of been a period for us to kind of just reflect and kind of see who we are and, and kind of base our content off of that but on the other side you know as a professional player I've been doing podcasts left and right um it seems like that's that's the wave right now for everybody is kind of you know you know contact who they can who they're in touch with and who they're close with and try to get their perspective on things so that's kind of been the pattern that I've been seeing within within the podcast realm right right right. I like that yeah and then for me with with talking jacks uh I had all these plans I tell you um not a ton of plans but I had plans to do like supporter interviews and I was going to finally do all these things I wanted to do and uh, unfortunately uh, COVID-19 happened. Uh, had a, a preview for the match that was uh, inevitably canceled um, which was funny because I felt like it was a great interview. It covered a topic uh, with uh, a guy out in Pittsburgh about the intersection Touched a little bit about it, but the, the intersection of religion and sports. Um, since uh, he used to be the Rapids rabbi, he used to cover the the Rapids out there in Colorado. Um, felt like it was a really good interview, and uh, not many people listened to it, unfortunately, because uh, the game didn't happen. But uh, in line with that, it's it's been kind of nice because kind of what uh, people said there. I was able to take a step back because what we do a lot with talking jacks is recapping games, previewing games, things of that nature. Right. You can't do that. So what it's given us an opportunity to do uh, is to have conversations with people that uh, I've been meaning to have with the podcast and just in general, whether that was uh, Jared Odenbeck, who used to be with the Independence, uh, now is with Stumptown Athletic, um, or David Carl, who's the president of The Curse out in New Mexico. Uh, that specific conversation I, I really enjoyed because never talked to him before. I've chatted with him on Twitter here and there, um, but it was a good backstory to his soccer experience and how he has gotten to the point that he is, and, and a little bit of backstory on the uh, New Mexico United as well. Um, yeah, that was a good the, the roller coaster they've been in. I listened to that one as well. That was good insight, good perspective as well. What about for you, English? How you guys been diversifying this quarantine? Yes, yeah, so I mean, I think first off, one of the things we've had to do is do some uh, more Zoom calls like this, you know. So right. before we were obviously going into a studio, so that's, this has been a big, a big change, pretty convenient, although it does tend to uh, 
interfere a little bit with putting the little one to bed. But uh, but that's been good. And I think we've used it as a chance to just, uh, yeah, explore different topics. So we did one on uh, best British 11 all time in the MLS. And just we're going to start going through as we look forward. We're going to kind of look at all the other teams and do sort of team previews. And we're just taking advantage advantage of this to kind of expand our knowledge and, and do new things, really, and, and just try and take new angles. So. What's kind of your mission with your podcast, Queen's English? That's a good question. Um, so, I mean, obviously, when we started it, we're just two two mates who uh, also happen to be neighbours who figured it would be a bit of fun to to get a podcast going. Um, so, I think first goal was really was to have fun with it and to to enjoy it and follow MLS. So, me and Chris were both big Premier League, you know. Every, every major soccer league fans, um, but we never really hit that. We'd never been really big MLS fans up until this point. And oh. when Charlotte got a team, we were, you know, obviously very excited, playing, you know, season tickets, et cetera, um, and thought this would be a fantastic way for us to learn as well and, and get more into it. And, uh, yeah, that was, that was really the goal. And I think one of the other things through it was to take our perspective as fans of other leagues and then share that with, with other people and so I think yeah some of it was also that if you haven't really been a, a soccer fan or an MLS fan before we're starting at the same sort of place right we're learning about the MLS we're learning about the team from day one and we thought it would be fun to to set that up so I don't know if yeah, Chris yeah, I'd echo everything Simon just said. And, and one of the reasons that Atlanta has been such a successful MLS team is they've captured that sports market of fans who weren't necessarily huge MLS fans, but they were Atlanta fans. So whatever the team was, they were going to pull for them. And, you know, they're selling out an NFL-sized stadium every single week that they're playing in it. So, yeah, we were trying to sort of build on that and, and fill that gap, I guess, in, in the market where there were people that wanted to know because the momentum was there when Charlotte announced the MLS team. Um, and, and we were sort of, you know, really excited about that and weren't necessarily expecting Charlotte to get a team when it ended up getting it. So, And I feel like you, you guys provide an interesting perspective because you're bringing like a European perspective. How you saying you guys rated the top 11 European players. You don't really get a European perspective in here in the States. So I feel like it's also a good perspective with Mint City, who I'm going to get ready to go into you, Jay, what, what your mission is. But I feel like you guys go hand in hand, just two different perspectives, but in a great way because there's the English side and also the domestic side. So definitely. No, I absolutely agree. Yeah, no, I, I like, I like that. And, and there's obviously a lot of the, the opposite of that. There's a lot of coverage of the European leagues um, in the U S but, but having that sort of reverse view and lens on it is definitely something that we're, we're really trying to focus on. What is, yeah, I think, oh, sorry. Okay. I'd say that we've also seen like, we have a lot of listeners in, in the UK and in London. Mm -hmm. And so, oh that's part of it as well, right? To expand the presence of Charlotte MLS and kind of, right. that's cool, right? If we can get exposure for the team back home as well, that's exciting. So. I like that. What were you going to say, B? Well, I was just going to ask, what is, you, you mentioned like learning new stuff about MLS. What is, like, what are the, some of the big things that you learned about MLS in this, the time since you started? MLS history, really. I mean, just the sort of, 
the nuts and bolts of the league that I, I feel, unless you've grown up in America and you're big into soccer, you wouldn't necessarily have been able to watch much MLS. So right. Simon and I are going through and, and we're looking at some of the really old, like, you know, the 90s clips and, and really getting an understanding of the teams and just the rivalries and the history of, of the league. Because I feel like that message maybe has been like, lost maybe outside of the US so we're we're really sort of interested to go in from this sort of like day zero approach of just really educating ourselves on on the league generally I like that yeah I would echo that I mean I think yeah outside of America people you know my my approach coming to the MLS wasn't considered you know it doesn't get a lot of coverage back home um it was kind of considered this retirement league and since we've started doing it I've seen that it's it's really changing. Like now is a, a transformative time for the league, and I can see big things as we go forward for MLS and also Charlotte MLS. And so it's just all kind of come together in terms of timing, and we're just huge football fans, so we're, we're enjoying it. Jay, what about you? How what's your what's your mission with Mint City and your direction with the season coming up next year? So with Mint City Collective or as the podcast or both? You can say both. Yeah, let's do both. Okay, so um, I'll start with the podcast. It's kind of the easier one for me. Um, uh, Min City, the Collective Voice podcast was kind of a way for me to take the greater Charlotte soccer community and talk to people from within it um, and try to bridge the gap of a lot of people that, you know, maybe aren't as MLS-centric or even soccer-centric and, and – or English speaking versus Spanish speaking um, and just try to bridge that gap of, of the soccer community here. Um, I've reached out to actually pretty much everybody here at some point about possibly doing a podcast. Um, And if I haven't, I've meant to. Um, But that being said, one of the biggest things, and, and I think Ashley deals with this a lot, and it's, you know, that gap of the Charlotte soccer community goes from the diehards to the casual fans and trying to bring those casual fans into a more, um, I'll say, productive fandom. Um, it's, it's a very hard line for them to cross. And I think to understand the, the sense of community that we can bring here with this team and with the city of Charlotte being the way that it is, it's a very eclectic city. It's a very diverse city, um, not just Charlotte, but the entire region. Um, and so to be able to connect all those dots, I think that's one of the important things through conversation is what I'm looking to do with, with the podcast, um, Mint City Collective, we're setting out to, to do a lot of uh, community initiatives. We are, we've got some pretty cool projects in the works right now that we started right before all the pandemic hit. Unfortunately, a lot of it's digital, so we can, um, we can at least get the ball rolling before physical things have to happen. Right. Um, at the end of the day, we're, we're primarily set up to support a major league soccer franchise here. Um, and we're going to do so by, again, trying to, to bridge a gap of, of a lot of fans here. Everything from the, the academy fans to the USL fans to the, the Latin American fans and beyond. I mean, like it's, there's a huge subset of soccer fans in this city. And right, right. That's something that, that we look to, 
to kind of help bring them, you know, whether they join Mint City or not, I want to just bring out that passion and show the soccer world that Charlotte is a very passionate soccer city. Um, and the people that live here show that passion and have that fire um, and they can express it through the sport of soccer. Right, right, right. I definitely agree with that. So how can we grow soccer here in the city of Charlotte and what changes do you think that need, needs to be made? And people, this is a good perspective for you too. Obviously you're not here in Charlotte, but you have an MLS team as in DC United and you're affiliated with Loudoun. So you've seen, and I'm from DMV area too, you've seen for years how DC has been growing with the new stadium and everything. Mm -hmm. So from that standpoint, to now us getting a new MLS, MLS team next season, how do you think we can keep growing soccer here in the city? It's for everybody. <clears throat> Well, I can, I'll, I'll continue touching on that. I think one of the biggest things is to reach out to people that, that maybe haven't been reached out to aggressively before. Um, and I am speaking specifically to the Latin American community. I feel like if you go out and see soccer pitches throughout the city, man, right, there's right. a ton of people out I there agree. I agree. any day of the week. You know, it's pouring down right now, right now but I'm sure that they're out there playing. Right. Um, and I think getting them involved and, and really, truly bringing their passion, um, I think that's something that, that could help grow the sport here. Um, you know, you're, you said, mentioned D.C. United. I was a season ticket holder for them for a couple of years. And so to see that was at RFK before they went to Audi Field. And so the culture that they have there, the culture was so important to that team. Right. You know, whether or not the front office would, would acknowledge that today, I know that they would, but the, it's the Bar Brava Screaming Eagles, without them and the foundations that they laid as fans, um, I don't think that the culture of DC United would be in the DMV the way that it is, it is now. So I think as fans sure. of the game, we've got to be out there and engaged on a daily basis as kind of a face of the franchise, if you will. I'll play devil's advocate to that because, Jay, I hear you when you say, you know, engaging people, reaching out to them and so forth. But also, soccer's been here. And there are a lot of people who have no problem saying, oh, I'm, I wish Charlotte had a team. I wish Charlotte had a team. And Charlotte is a very major league only snob level city. And I love living here, don't get me wrong. But it is, if it's not major league, forget it. I'm not going. They've right. had the Eagles for years. The Eagles were very polarizing for a lot of people because they are a faith-based organization. But Dustin Swinehart came from there. Jorge Herrera. Patrick Daca, who is not officially announced yet with Charlotte MLS, but he'll be joining them on the academy side. They've had right. professional soccer here for years and didn't show up for it. So you can argue, did the, does the city really deserve MLS or did it just happen because David Tepper has a ton of money? Now, the game is about to be here. I'll still be covering the game. I'll still be... Well, I'm not sure what the press box will look like because social distancing, yeah, that six feet apart is not possible in a press box. But when you look at that, it's here. So is it really the responsibility of the team, any team, Independence, Eagles, Stumptown, and so forth? Is it the responsibility of the team to present themselves to the community in a capacity that the community wants to engage with them? Or is it the responsibility of the people saying, there's professional soccer in the city, go get it? Right. I I, per, I I believe you're you're absolutely right, and I think you can play both sides of that. Really, um, I think the people should go out. I think that was something I fought with for years with Jack's Militia, um, trying to bring fans out to Ramblewood or Winthrop or wherever the hell they were playing that week. Um, but 
I think also the teams have to be out there and willing to to put in that effort within those communities and get out there and, and engage with the people. And I think that's that's something that, you know, the Eagles, yeah, they, they were out there. The independents were out there, but not not extremely. And and who knows, MLS team may not get out there, but you're right, because it's a major league team, people may or may not more more than likely will go to that because it's at Bank of America Stadium rather than 30,000 locations fair. Yes. <laughs> like yeah, six or seven they played in. I mean, I mean, hey, Transamerica, <laughs> Winthrop, Ramblewood, mm-hmm. Memorial. I, I remember when they announced the team and speaking with Jim McPhillamy, the, I mean, he's the president. I mean, technically Dan D'Amico is the owner, but he's like, yeah, you know, everything's set to go forward with Memorial and Memorial still hasn't happened. Now, granted, you can argue that maybe the independence organization got screwed during the first MLS bid with Marcus Smith and having the go ahead, you know, they would have been, you guys would have been playing at Memorial last year if the 2016 plan had gone through with the County, but it got pushed back and don't get me wrong. No one would prefer not to drive on 74 more than me. And I'm sure you guys can speak to that a lot more having to go out there for training constantly and matches and, you know, a Wednesday night match on 74, trying to get out there, forget it. It's, it's miserable. Right. But it's it's been a bit of a merry-go-round to that end. But from a player's perspective for you and for B, talk to me a bit about what's the internal dialogue when, you know, there are so many levels here. Now you have third division with Stumptown. You have MLS coming in. You guys are second division. There's the uh, no longer PBL, but, you know, the college pathway with the Eagles. There's really, really good college teams here with the 49ers perennial NCAA tournament participants. What's the dialogue like about the growth of the game in the area? You want to go, Hugh? You want to go ahead? Go ahead, B. Well, for me, it's a bit different um, because I grew up here. Um, so this is like, this is my city. And I grew up thinking, hoping, wishing for an MLS team um, because, you know, I wanted to see soccer at the highest level here. And I, you know, <clears throat> throughout middle school, high school, I went to Eagles games. I trained with the Eagles, um, but it, you know, it wasn't the highest level and I wanted to see, you know, the highest level in my city. And so when I heard the MLS team was, was coming, you know, I was, it, I was torn because, you know, I played for the independence. I knew how it was going to affect the independence or how it could potentially affect the independence. But at the same time, I want to see my city flourish. And I think, uh, from what I've seen so far, it's it's been a good start from the from the um, MLS organization. They brought in some key people, you know, Swinehart and and Jorge, who are who have huge ties in the community and can help the organization grow in multiple arenas, like Jay talked about with the Latin American community and reach the reach the people that maybe the independents weren't successful in reaching. Um, and to your point, a little bit actually, like I. I understand what you're saying, but I, I tend to put a little bit more onus on the, the organization as a whole. I can't speak to what happened before I came, but, you know, coming in 2018, 2019 and, and being in that front office a bit more and, and, and working with the people in there, there's a lot of great people in there, but I just don't think as an organization, I've told them, that, them this themselves, like that we use our assets, which are our players as much as possible to get out in the community and connect with the fans, connect with the people who don't know us and don't know about us. Cause there's just at this point, five years in, 
five, six years in, there's just too many people who don't know about the independence. And so now the hope is like, I, I, I'm happy that Stumptown's here. The independents are here. You know, the MLS team is coming. Um, regardless of what is, how it's going to affect the independence or Stumptown, we're still going to have three different levels of soccer and plenty of options for, for people to come out and enjoy soccer at every level. And for me, it's kind of, Charlotte's very unique coming from three other different cities. <clears throat> you really don't have other levels and divisions of soccer here in one city. It's usually either one major league team or one USL team. But the uniqueness of Charlotte is a third tier or fourth, third, second, and now the first is coming. So like Brandon's saying, I already know the city has been itching for it for a while now, but I think it's going to grow exponentially because this the city's been dying for something like this. And it's just... I mean, it's just a lot, something to look forward to, something to work for, not for us, just for us pros, but the academy kids, kids who are in youth system, just any in any club period, to have an MLS Major League team just gives you something to fight for and hope for. So it's going to be very exciting next season. I'm looking forward to it myself. Now, I'll pay – I'm sorry to totally put on the, the interviewer hat. It's, it's a bad habit as a journalist, but I'll play devil's advocate a little bit more. All of those different pathways, they're all on the male side. And I, I know you can argue it. I've been to hooligans many, many times where I'm the only female in there. And the stereotype is, oh, you're in here. You're in here with your boyfriend or your husband. You don't care about the game. You don't know anything about the game. Why are you in here taking up space? Right. So to that end, when will we start to see more for the women's game? When will we start to see more Crystal Dunn's, Jess McDonald's, Heather? I mean, heck, Heather O'Reilly was the one who made the announcement as the MC here back in December with MLS. When will there be that same opportunity of multiple professional levels on the women's side? That's put everybody on the spot. I mean, from what I hear, it could be sooner rather than later, but I can't speak to it too much. Oh, I wish my, I wish my playing days <laughs> were still, still here. <laughs> Got to get the boots back out. Did cross my fingers when I should speak? I think, and the, what I'm kind of hearing from everybody discussing their different points of view on this, I think ultimately, I think that should be a the next step for soccer in Charlotte, honestly, because – we're a, we're a large enough city where we can uh, – and there's enough of – I mean, the, the watch parties, the American Outlaws draw for the women's games. It, it, I've never been to one, but I've seen the videos, and they're, they're immense. I mean, they're packing out the place. Uh, Dilworth Grill, I think, is where it's at, um, or whatever it may be. Um, and I think that's something that excites me is that with MLS coming to town, it's going to really – I don't mean this insulting at all. I know it may come across, but to me, I think it's going to raise the IQ level of soccer fans in Charlotte. I think ultimately they will see a different side and they will, they'll, their mind, I guess, will be expanded in the sense of, oh, okay, soccer is really good here. MLS may not be the premier league of, or the top tier in the world, but it's a high quality uh, game that's being played there. And then, I would hope anyways that it would lead to other avenues of supporting the women's team like that needs to be supporting maybe even the NC courage, even though it's in Raleigh, like supporting those different avenues of soccer. Um, like I feel that needs to be supported and that are worth supporting at, at a certain point. Right. right. I agree with that. Well, and I, I think that I've heard through the pipeline and this was, 
last summer, so things might have changed. But I know, I know Jim has um, really wanted to bring a women's team here, and I think that that was the next step that he wanted to take with his franchise, with the independence. Um, now, with David Tepper getting involved in the sport in this city, it might be able to expedite that whole process, and I would love to see it. Um, you know, and I think that the timing is is right, especially if the MLS team, I, I, I hate to use that as the platform, but if the MLS team can be successful and they can help draw the people to the women's game as well, yeah. um, I think that's a great opportunity for the city as a whole and for the sport in general. Um, and yeah. I think you have two ambitious owners. Jim is one of the most ambitious people I've ever met. Um, you know, early within the first few times I met him, he said we were going to be watching games at Memorial by next season. And that was 2014. So, um, you know, <laughs> I'm still waiting, Jim, but it's, it's, uh, he's, he, he's taken a lot of flack from a lot of people, but he, he wants to do its best for the game here. Um, and he's, he's going to do what he can. And, and I see, the women's game, if he says he wants to do it, I see him pushing it as hard as he can. So how would you guys like to see more insight into our professional lives? What should we change or do more of from an outsider's perspective? Feel free, fellas, to chime in too. What do you guys feel like we should do more of content-wise so people can get insight into our lives, you know? Yeah, I'll, I'll go ahead and... uh you know, on behalf of the current athlete, um, you know, I'm always a personally reserved guy. So it's, you know, always been kind of the less on social media, the better for me. Um, but, you know, obviously in 2020, um, you know, seeing all this different content and kinds of content and more insider perspective and the feedback that I've got from fans is, is that I need to, you know, you know, kind of display and showcase my life a little bit more. They want to get to know, know me as a person. You know, they obviously know people as a soccer player. Um, so that's one thing that I've been trying to do a little bit more is, is, is especially on Instagram is kind of, you know, do the stories and, and, you know, more, I guess, meaningful posts. Uh, I was taking over the IG for a lot in the other day. And um, obviously it was a busy day with Zoom left and right up and down. But at the same time, just trying to trying to open up a little bit more. And, and that's I mean, that's a great question for me. You, um, you know, I'm just I'm just in a, in a position where I'm, I'm becoming more open with with you know, the public eye. So that's, that's kind of my perspective. And like you said, too, this quarantine has been a blessing in disguise, getting your content together and know exactly what you want to put out, you know. These things low-key happen for a reason, I feel. Exactly. What do you guys think? How would you guys like to see more inside content behind the scenes look for us athletes? Well, I think, I think a lot of... Um athletes are taking you know an approach of regimens and all that stuff look at what cam newton's doing in his social media right right every workout he has he's putting out you know i think he's more making a job interview for himself every day but right. um you know he's but he's been doing work you know and it's it's fun to see that kind of stuff see the the things that an athlete puts into their craft every day um, you know, and I know every athlete is a little bit different in maybe what they put into their regiment. Mm -hmm. um, some people are probably more focused on diet. Some people are on training. Some people are just ready to show up for game day and ready to play. And I think, 
um, you know, as a fan, I always liked interacting with, with the players more personally um, rather than following them on social media. Um, you know, I've, I've always been not quite as active on social media as, as most other people. Um, I go through phases where I get pretty active, but, you know, the game day experience is what matters the most to me. You know, being engaged with fans um, after the game, being there for warm-ups, talking crap to the other team. Um, you know, I'll give you guys an example. When I was in D.C., uh, Terry Henry was playing for Red Bull, and it was a D.C. United Red Bull playoff game. Um, and uh, Bradley Wright Phillips was also playing for him. And we we pissed him off so bad that he comes running down the sideline, starts cussing us out, you know. And as a fan, it was so cool to see that. Right. But you know, being able to it, it's 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 funner to interact with the players in person. Um, but then to see maybe their personal life, like um, I don't know, I don't know what other people might want to see, but I, I'm I'm more interested in like the physical aspect of training, I like that. diets, and I like stuff. That. So I like that. I say it's cool to see, not to uh, give Brandon and, uh, and you too much of a hothead, but I think it's cool to see things like this in the aspect of, like, if a player really likes to cook, like, showing that skill off and, and like, showing this, the podcast skills off, interview skills, things like that. Like, I, I go back to there was this, uh, I forget the name of the club. It was with Wanderers or something like that. Not Wolverhampton, but maybe out in Australia, I believe. And it was just – a like a mockumentary of him like showing like using his skill of humor which I mean I don't even know the player but I didn't know he had that skill and just leaning into different talents they have outside the pitch and showing like a different aspect of them to just give it more human side of things I think I think that's cool to uh to be able to look at a player and say okay they've got these other different talents right. that make them more than just um, just a footballer or soccer player, whatever you want to call it. Um, those are things that I find uh, pretty cool to see uh, that, are, that are people are doing during these times. That's the vibe I've kind of been getting to over since I've been here for a year and some change now. I was blessed enough to meet a videographer guy who gave insight. I bring him to the stadium on home games. He'd bring, do footage of <clears> – some of you guys see my YouTube channel, but he did footage of games – uh, warm-ups game day practices as well and after the vibe and the love the message i've been getting i feel like just visuals in general people love to see the insight love to see what's really going on but behind the scenes not just when they come to a game so i definitely wrote those things down myself what you guys are talking about right now because that's great insight but i do agree with that as well i feel like people love to see visuals and love to get that behind the scenes access yeah, I'd agree. I'd definitely echo that, Hugh. I mean, you've seen the rise in popularity of all those various TV series now that follow a, you know, a team in, in whatever sport throughout the whole season. And people just love seeing that human side of the athlete. Um, you know, you know what to expect on the field most of the time, but to see that that real sort of natural human interaction that athletes have from an outside perspective is is really cool. But I will add, I've really enjoyed during this quarantine period, the amount of tournaments that have taken place, you know, using like esports where yep. the athletes yep. are controlling their teams and they're competing against fellow athletes. I just think that's a really cool insight to see again, you know, the human side, but also their super competitive side. I mean, that's what makes you guys elite is is your competitiveness so seeing that in, in a slightly different form has been a, a pretty neat experience definitely agree with that 
I also think it's Charlotte, so I want to know what brewery everybody's going to. <laughs> the more brewery things, we go out a little bit and show you the nightlife. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but no, I definitely agree with that. I definitely appreciate that insight as well. So with the MLS renegotiating, and I'm sure you guys have seen the media now, the USL season's up in the air. What is this showing about soccer here in this country and what needs to change? It's a business, first and foremost, unfortunately. And to turn this toward you guys as well, I know, um, Brandon, the video from the Players Association that was posted earlier today. And seeing all that, it, it is a business. It is a livelihood. It is hard on the world right now to just stay afloat. And if people are thriving during this, more power to them. I'd like to know their tips and tricks on that. But when you look at it, you know, it's a game. It's, it is a way for people to de-stress and it is also a profession. But when you look at, you know, the bottom line of it's a business and it's losing money without the product taking place, what does that mean for you guys as players? And what's the gravity of the situation right now with the struggles that the league is facing? I mean, I think it's short term and long term. I mean, like you said, it's a business. Um, and we understand the business aspects of it. Um, I mean, some of us have our own businesses and understand how it's affecting us now. Um, but looking at it from a player's perspective, I mean, we were, we were in this for the long term. Um, just speaking towards our, our players association, you know, we had goals for the long term to, to better this business and make it uh, a more viable product for more soccer players and, and make it a better product for fans in turn. Um, and so, you know, short term, the, it's, the goal is to figure out a way for the league, uh, the owners and the players to coexist in, in a um, situation that's best for all three. Uh, and then in the long term, also doing the same, but looking at, you know, how we can improve player uh, situations around the league to make it more of a professional product and then truly call this the best second division in the world. I think we have to do that as a whole, not just as, you know, the players pushing for it. It's got to be owners have to want that. The league has to want that as well, because it's one thing to market yourself as the, the, the best second division in the world or the largest second division in the world, however you want to, you want to say it, but it's another thing with you, with your actions. And so that's what, uh, that's where I think we have to marry the, the, the three different uh, entities. You could, you could say, um, put those together and make it a viable product that everyone can enjoy. They want to be they want to be labeled the second best division in the in the country in the world, but this virus is really showing what businesses have been preparing themselves, saving money, um, creating some insurance, things like that. Not, I mean, obviously this pandemic wasn't planned or anything, but it's showing who has been prepared and who's not. And clearly, as we see with these negotiations and things, that really a lot of these owners and teams in this league in the USL just hasn't been prepared, and it's not really anybody's fault nor is it all our fault but it's coming down to us players more so than it is to the owners in the league and it's kind of making out that we're the like we're the villains when really we signed a full term full long-term contract for x amount of years things should be fulfilled to you know however whatever that duration is but it's also showing that 
the fact that they're willing to cancel the season so soon that it's never really been about us like that. And it's been more of a business and it's just showing with our livelihoods on the line that they're still willing to take more than a percentage away from us than the MLS. It's like, do you really care about these players actually being the second best division in the world? Or do you really just want to up front in the media standpoint and show people that they're trying to do certain things, but really from a player standpoint, it's not really panning out like that. So I feel like this pandemic is exposing a lot of flaws in our system and just in the league in general, but I'm still optimistic and hope things can turn around in the short term because in the long term, it's going to be very beneficial with what the moves that we do right now in this current situation. Yeah, Hugh, I just I just want to echo um, to your point and, and, and B's point as well. You know, being being a player, this is my seventh year in the league as, as a USL player. Um, you know, I think I think it's important. B said something that, you know, the players are just as important. Obviously, yes, you know, actually, you're right. This is a business. And obviously, there's some things that, you know, we don't see behind the scenes and, and that we don't even know about. Um, you know, and just as much as, you know, the businesses and the owners, they want to succeed. The players want to see the league grow as well. Um, so I think it's it's really important, you know, from a player's perspective to to kind of include us and in, 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 in allow us to help make the league better. Because essentially we all want the, the league to be the set, the best second division in the world, the best, you know, maybe the first division. Maybe I'm being ambitious, but at the same time, you know, in, involving the players and in, in, in showing them that you care about them, it, is, it right. goes a long way. Right. I think – I think to make it the best second division, they're going to have to be very creative coming out of this. You know, look at the the tail end of this. You know, if if let's say the cure is found and all this stuff and everybody can get back to whatever normal will be, um, you've got to have a lot. I mean, USL has how many teams in it now? It's like 80-something, right? right? You've got to have some very creative minds to make that as successful as it can be. Um, you know, there's plenty of people there with the business side of it that could, that could help things move forward. Um, but you have to realize that without the players, there is no product. And so I think being creative and, and taking the business side, but also giving back to the rest of it, I think that's got to be an important endeavor for all the businesses that are involved with this. So it's going to be interesting to see how, how creative some people, a lot of businesses and a lot of teams can be coming out of this. And, and to kind of give a perspective on your question there, Hugh, from a, from a supporter perspective, I guess, um, I think it's been interesting for me to sit back and see like the why behind soccer, like what I find important about soccer, like why I go out to game days and get there early to set up the flags and things like that. Like why I support players and the, the more important side of things and the aspect of maybe what we can do better as a supporter group of Jack's Militia and what, kind of like just what I said, like what is important about soccer outside of the 90 minutes and really how we can support players and how we can support um, doing things outside of the 90 minutes to impact the city as a whole um, more effectively. Right, right. I like that opinion. <clears throat> I think as well, just structurally, I think we're, we're sort of 
dancing around the elephant in the room, which is, you know, the current pay structure and salary cap that exists in the USL. I think if you truly want to be competing as the, you know, best second division in the world, that needs looking at. And this may present a really good opportunity to sort of go back to the drawing board and say, okay, if we want to compete in a global sport, on that level, do we need to address this? Do we need to tweak the rules that enables us to keep our most talented players within the league rather than them leaving to other leagues at the age of 14, 15, 16? Um, you know, there's a real talent drain currently in, in US soccer from the grassroots sort of all the way up to the you know, college level. And, and capturing those players and harnessing their talents, you know, whilst they're in those young years, um, I think is crucial for the growth of the sport generally in the U.S. I think so, too. Definitely. How do you guys think footy is going to change worldwide forever? Smaller stadiums, I guess. Bigger. You know, they're going to have to look at the, the, the whole um, event management side of it, obviously. Um, we're going to see a lot of teams go out of business all over the world, right? A lot yeah. of the, the lower level teams are going to struggle to come out of this, I think, unfortunately. I think we're already seeing teams back home that are in, are in trouble. So I do think it may, for a while, we may see less, less professional teams and, and some of the big names kind of disappearing. And I guess it's been happening over the past few years anyway, without saying like this, is you're starting to see, you know, fewer but more dominant teams at the top, really, like a pyramid. It's getting kind of narrower up there now. So those bigger teams, the rich are getting richer and the, and the smaller teams, unfortunately, are starting to, to make way. And it's just the, the capitalist nature of the game, I think. So, Yeah, even from the littlest standpoint for pregame handshakes, I think that's done forever. Yeah. I think even celebrations might be done for a long time. <clears throat> even, um, I mean, press conferences, I'm sure you guys have seen how they're just standing from a distance and holding mics that are six, seven feet apart. Just in every way, I feel, I feel like all sports are going to be affected and changed forever because of this pandemic, which is kind of crazy to think about. It was very exciting to see Saturday morning and just, just watching yeah. in Dortmund and uh, my German's going to be awful, but Schalke. And just seeing all that, is like it feels not even normal, but just watching the game was just, personally, I thought it was beautiful. But knowing like I wonder what the press box looks like like in there right now and how much is that going to control the narrative for so many clubs and I'll use a totally different example by covering the draft it was nice not being they have a call it the war room the little bunker the media work area at the bottom of the stadium and it's three days of sitting in there no windows you're just you're in there go 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 until their final pick and instead, this time around, it was you get to do this at home. I set up a Zoom call with the players, Zoom call with the coaches. I'm like, that's great. But what happens during the season? And they say, okay, we have one player available. They pick who you get to talk to. They pick if you talk to anyone. They limit the accessibility. And I'm not trying to paint clubs as you know, the devil or anything like that. But how much would it affect accessibility in terms of what stories are able to be told and how much the club wants to control that narrative. Just a reporter's thought. So lastly, for me, I think this is an issue that needs to be addressed. With the MLS growing, USL growing, soccer growing domestically in this country, why do you guys feel like 
or why do you think there's no black coaches almost on any level? And what issues do you think that causes? It's a good question, Hugh. That has been a problem in, in you know, I mean, racism has been a hot topic in football for many years, right? Like there has been, it just takes a long time, I think, to change that. And even in, you know, countries like, you know, back home, for example, there's still English managers and, and you know, black English managers are not getting the same opportunities and chances. Um, now, I guess what we need, what would, the hope would be that as that, as more and more people do get the chance, they, they are successful and, and then that'll eventually just go away, right? But I do think for years that's, that's existed as a problem. And so it just, it takes time to change that, you know, and unfortunately, as much as people don't want to talk about racism is still something that we're battling with as a society um, and, and across the world. Right. And I just think that that hasn't changed maybe as much as sometimes people think. And unfortunately, I just think it's going to take time. Right. For you guys, what would the, we talked about this earlier, but what would the difference be in terms of having a coach from, you know, a, that understanding would it be so much that or would it be like you said of saying you know hey these white players are getting chance after chance after chance versus you know you screw up once and you're benched you're you're done the opportunities aren't there for you because they don't understand where you're coming from or it's just a cultural disconnect or maybe I'm completely missing the boat (laughs) I think for me it's more so a role model a figure to look up to uh, I remember when I was growing up and I started playing soccer, like Shaka Hislop was uh, one of my favorite goalkeepers. And it wasn't because he was the best goalkeeper in the Premier League. It was because he looked like me. Um, and I think in order to get more minorities in, in soccer, specifically black players in soccer, you got to have, you know, players like you, players like Pebo, players like myself. But you also got to have the coaches who are out there, you know, strong figures, strong role models, leaders, leaders of teams, leaders of men, leaders of organizations um, to give these young players something to aspire to. Um, I would give myself something to aspire to outside of playing soccer, you know, moving on beyond my playing career, but also just younger players, giving them something to aspire to. Oh, I see, a, you know, a strong coach on the sideline who's, who's, uh, you know, leading a successful team. Like that gives, that gives people, that gives not just young players, but people, um, African-Americans, someone, something to aspire to that I think would be huge for, um, for the culture. So uh, how, how to fix that? Uh, that's not something I, I have thought about too much. Is that something I need to think about more? Um, but I think it's a great question, something that, that needs to be addressed. Yeah, Hugh, I would, I would sort of say, you know, in response to that, like what, as, you know, as a black athlete yourself, like what, what hurdles have you seen from going from player to coach to, you know, head coach? Because that's usually the most common path, um, you know, around the world. So, you know, what, what sort of issues have you seen on that front that would necessarily, you know, create a, a, a stopgap? I feel like kind of what Ashley was saying, I feel like a lot of the head coaches are on a very short lease. So leash, sorry. So they might get an opportunity, but then it's only for a couple of months or it's like one season and you're just done. Okay. We gave them a chance. We made them look good in the public eye. And then it's instantly done immediately after a year. Even if it's, they go to playoffs sometimes, not just in soccer, but you look at NFL, you look at NBA sometimes too. Coaches get one, maybe two years max and it's done where a white coach might get five plus years 
to 10 and there's never made playoffs, but he's still just there because he's people know him, people are comfortable with him and people are giving him multiple opportunities. Kind of just piggybacking off what Ashley was saying too. I feel like in a lot of ways, one, it steers kids away from the sport. So I've only had one black coach, black soccer coach my whole life and I was in middle school, but I know plenty of my peers who have been affected of not been affected by not having a minority coach where we transition on to college or an academy in high school and you might have a white coach who just doesn't understand our culture, just doesn't understand what our mindset is. And so instead of being supportive or being punished because of it, instead of being given multiple opportunities where a white kid might make five mistakes, we're only given one mistake and then we're sitting on the bench kind of thing. And that just messes up with the player's mental psyche. And then you're getting on yourself, you're beating yourself down, not thinking you're good enough when really you just need someone to support you and understand you. And that's kind of why I coach now. I'm coaching a U13 boys team and I coach in Richmond as well. But I want to shine a light for other minority kids as well to see me and they work hard for me. That, you know, they support with laugh, is giggles. And I understand them. I don't really bash them for a mistake. I, I'm always supportive of them. They're vocal, even when they're upset, because I know there's a lot, of, lot more issues at home with minorities than there is with the white culture as well. So I understand that there might be some troubles at home. Let me not punish this kid because he has attitude on this day. I understand that. And I keep giving him opportunity on the field. And I've seen countless, countless times and examples of kids just excelling because you're just giving them opportunities, even if you make a mistake. And so even what Brandon was saying, I feel like I say it sometimes too, you can't see what you can't be. And so we can't see a coach on the highest level in the major leagues. It's like, man, if I don't have a coach up there, a black coach in the major league soccer that really understands me, am I really, when I get up there, going to give a, be given a fair chance as to my white counterparts kind of thing? So in a lot of ways, it definitely plays a big role and things got to change and kind of what, um, what's the name was saying before, it's going to take some time, but I definitely think things need to change. Do you think having a player like, say, Terry Henry going to Montreal and coaching there, do you think having somebody of that caliber stepping up into a major league um, would help build that that aura and, and have, you know, drive more people into maybe wanting to coach? Maybe there's a lack of desire to coach because of, you know, how diluted the market is otherwise. I just feel like Terry Henry and Patrick Vieira, when he came from NYCFC, were kind of like scapegoats, to be honest. They came from overseas, and it looks good in the public eye that's with black coaches are in the major leagues, but they're not domestic coaches. It's more of their pedigree has been Arsenal, France, and, you know, they've been doing their thing internationally. But here, let's just put this black coach in there just to say we have a black coach. But really, besides them two, I can't even tell you somebody on top of my head who – been domestically a black coach so even from that standpoint too I feel like domestically we might not be given a chance to coach and so it kind of steers other coaches away from you know becoming or reaching that top major league per se I think yeah and I'd agree with that I mean you know just quickly like you know, people, when they see Thierry Henry or Patrick Vieira, they see Thierry Henry and Patrick Vieira because of who they are and who they were as players. They don't necessarily, first and foremost, see them as 
black managers or black head coaches. So, no, I, I absolutely agree with you. And it needs to be that sort of organic growth through the U.S. soccer system that's really going to make an impact on, you know, those young kids that, that need role models and, and aspirational figures. Uh, Chris took the words right out of my mouth. Like, Henri and Vieira are two of the greatest, like, French footballers, you know. They're not necessarily – black coaches and that's 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 a terrible way to put it they are black coaches but that's not how they're seen first and foremost and so a a good example for for me from i was just reading an article the other day about demarcus beasley and about his his uh potential ownership with the uso league one team um in fort wayne indiana and i think that is the perfect example of you know uh, a homegrown uh, african-american soccer player who's been successful through the through the ranks of u.s soccer and is now stepping into a, a prominent role as an owner, maybe not a head coach, but as an owner. And that's something that I myself aspire to, and that's motivating for me. And so I think someone like that stepping into a head coach role, and whether it be in the USL or whether it be in MLS, I think someone like that can, can be a, a real spearhead, a real figurehead for, for change and, and more diversity in those leadership positions in U.S. soccer. And there is still kind of this feeling, at least from um, my coworkers, love them all dearly, but they're all, you know, 50s plus. And with the exception of Herb, the concept and things that we are here constantly is, why are you all important so much on soccer? Black people don't care about soccer. And this is something where they're like, oh, yeah, like that, that team that you're covering, sure, they've, they've got some brothers playing on the team, but they're all European. I'm like, right. No, that's not, that's not exactly it. So again, back to the, the Vieira and Henri references, it's assumed that if you're a person of color, then you aren't from the States. I think it's mostly that sentiment that you guys have reiterated of, okay, well, domestic players, nah, that they're, they're not going to be people of color. And to see the way that, you know, again, I'll reference covering the 49ers with, you can see Charlotte. They have um, brothers on there, TJ and Sean Suber, who went to Mallard Creek, a local high school here. And just seeing guys like them, Jackson Waterman came through the local, it was uh, Carolina Rapids before they merged with the independents. And just knowing that you know, there are all these local players here, or you have a kid like Cameron Lacey, who, yeah, he's got the Jamaica ties, but came through all of the systems to play for that d1 school it's like no these these aren't necessarily kids coming from europe or somewhere else they're here they're in our own backyard just this antiquated notion and i understand why and where it's coming from like if it's not a barbershop sport then forget it you know it's not football it's not basketball no one cares but but soccer's here like it's it's not it's not going anywhere and it's here not just for the oh well where did they come from they're not from here Right. Oh. Yeah. I guess I got a question for, for you guys, if you don't mind, as Americans, you know, does, does the Rooney rule work? I mean, does having some sort of quota, do you think that would help the sport and help the growth of, of black coaches within the sport? Has it helped, has it helped the NFL? <laughs> hmm. I don't think so, but that might just be me. <laughs> Yeah, to, to be quite honest with you, I mean, great question. I, I personally don't 
you know, understand it completely, the Rooney rule. But I do know that in sport, obviously, you want some honest aspect to it. Um, I feel as if, you know, implementing that is, is, is it might be taken to a different, I guess, different matter in terms of, okay, hiring just to hire or, or whatever. But you want it to be honest because there are talented black coaches and black GMs and black owners that have the money to do so that can, that can do a, a pretty damn good job. And you want it to be organic, like, like, like mentioned earlier. You want it to be, you know, uh, honest. Um, so, so for me personally, I, I really don't know if that works, that, that Rooney rule. Um, but I know, I know that, you know, you know, referring to B's point is, is this, the sport in general needs more leaders, leadership, especially coming from, from the black community. Um, and that's, that's to inform maybe the players or excuse me, the, the people who don't know about the sport that are, that are involved, you know, um, back, I'll, I'll tell you back in West Virginia, you know, obviously I would, I would share times with the football players and stuff like that. And everybody knows FIFA. Everybody knows the game and stuff like that. But they can't tell you anything about the MLS or who's what team is which and who's playing. You know what I'm saying? So mm-hmm. from a global perspective, I think it's, it's, it's just important to kind of have that organic leadership to kind of grow that sport, um, you know, and, and, and look at it that way, if that makes sense. And I think I, – I hate to jump in in the middle of this, but I think – Kind of tie it back to what we talked about earlier, Hugh. I think when we get to the point, which needs to happen, and I don't want to say for MLS soccer to work in Charlotte, this needs to happen, but for soccer to really get the hearts and minds of America, I think we need African-American and other minorities in those roles, because ultimately if people are not being represented in that way, then there's a major part of the demographic and the major part of America that is not being represented well, I don't think. And I think it's, I don't think that should be a high in the sky. We'll figure that out later type of a thing. I think in to kind of put a, an optimistic view on that, I think that's what, soccer should be quite honestly because that's the way i view soccer as a connector of people a connector of different people from different areas and things like that and i think for soccer to be what it can be and what it should be i think those things need to happen and that makes me excited to hopefully sooner rather than later see those things come to fruition i think that's very very true ben um I feel like the, the Rooney Rule is a good stepping stone, but as Ashley was saying, if you look at the NFL, they've been ha- implementing that for years and nothing's really changed. They do it just to you know appease us, I feel like, but they still, and it's another issue, I, I forget who, somebody I knew actually talked to the CEO of the MLS a couple of years ago, talking about the Rooney Rule and how they're still not interviewing black coaches each year. They're still not giving us domestically, specifically a, a, a fair chance. So, it, it, I mean, it's a great stepping stone, but I don't think they're implementing it that well. So, something in some ways got to change, um, but it's a great start, but nothing's really being changed at all. So, I don't know per se like that, but things definitely need to change to get more minority coaches. Not necessarily black coaches either. There's some more Spanish coaches up there too. Just to show more culture because America – is very diverse in general. It's just need need someone to speak to the people. 
I think you hit the nail on the head there, Hugh. I mean, it's, it's not necessarily the rule that doesn't work, but it's the implementation. I mean, you've seen these sort of race quotas applied in different sports in different countries. I mean, if you look at the South African rugby team that won the World Cup this time around, they had a black captain, they had a black head coach, and they have a quota of having to have a third of their players as, as blacks. Wow. And, and, you know, has that worked? I mean, arguably more so than in the NFL in the U.S., Right. Um, so I think a big part of it is the implementation and there needs to be more, it needs to be pushed up the agenda across the landscape of U.S. soccer at every single level. Um, you know, whether there's a quota or not, the topic needs to be discussed because I haven't heard any discussion in, in right. soccer at least. Right. right. Well, listen, I really appreciate you guys for coming on the show. It's a great, great episode. I'll send each of you the link to the show when I put it up this weekend. But again, I really, really appreciate you guys coming on. It's a very good episode. I appreciate it. Thank you. Yeah, man. It was a good chat with you. Is there a great night? All right, guys. Later. Care Footies brought to you by the Beautiful Game Network podcast. That's BGN.FM on the internet. You can also follow them on Twitter at the BGN FM.